Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Friday, June 22nd. I'm Chris Hardy. Today, we're going behind the scenes of a new Vice series called Minority Reports, which explores communities of underrepresented individuals in particularly unexpected places. Minority Reports turns the term minority on its head. The first episode, which was released earlier this week, looks at a white student attending a historically black college, and shit gets real. Is it reverse racism to have schools that are only for black students? Okay, so I don't even understand that word, that term, for real. And I get that it's an argument, it's a specious one, it's a dumb one. Racism has to do with structures, with systems, with legislation, all of that. Not, it's not fair because you're black and you can do it and I'm white and I should be able to do it. That ain't, if that's what you call reverse racism, I'm trying to have a conversation with you. Other episodes include topics like black professional bull riders and non-Korean K-pop bands. It's a complicated concept that pushes viewers to ask difficult questions. So today on our show, we've got Vice producer Zeke Spector talking with the host of Minority Reports, Lee Adams, and the series producer Nicole Cohn about their first episode. Hey everyone, we got uh, Lee and Nicole. Lee, welcome. Thanks for having me. Nicole, welcome as well. Hi, Zeke. Thanks. So you both just put out a new video today. And so tell me a little bit about what this video is. So it's the first installment of a new digital series here at Vice called Minority Reports. And we profile a white student at Morehouse College named Tiago. And we look at how the recruitment of non-traditional students, as they call them, is affecting the campus community and really how this student is being received by, you know, this formerly completely black space. Tell me a little bit about historically black colleges and universities. What are they? Sure. So a historically black college and university is basically what the name says. So most HBCUs were uh, founded after the Civil War. You know, they were started to educate freed slaves. Um, And they are a huge institution in the black community. Me and Lee both have siblings who went to HBCUs, and they're just known for safe spaces for uh, members of the African-American community to receive their education. It's a four-year reprieve from having to navigate white spaces in society where you are constantly reminded of your blackness in a negative way. You are constantly self-policing, and these are physical spaces that exist where you can be free from that constant psychological monologue that you're having, like, am I presenting myself as a threatening black man right now? 
how am I speaking? Like even right now, right? This is not how I like talk with my friends. Like right now there is an element of self-policing that's going on over the course of this interview that is necessary for me to like be taken seriously. And at an HBCU, you're free from all of that. You're allowed to find out who you are as a person and reconnect with your blackness in a way that's affirming. And also for a lot of kids, you get to be educated by black teachers for the first time. You get to see black doctors and black lawyers and black businessmen and have role models presented to you that exist outside of the realm of entertainment or professional athletics. And you're prepared for entering a world that seeks to rob you of your sense of self-worth and dignity every single day. I also just think HBCUs are such special places. I think it's a very unique experience where you constantly see yourself. I think as black people, you don't often see yourself in mainstream media. One of the students we talked to, she had a really interesting perspective. She went to Spelman, which is the sister school to Morehouse. And basically, she was like, you know, when I go to a biology class, I'm learning about black female biologists. Like, I am learning how biology affects black women. And I just thought that was, like, so interesting. And I've never had that in a biology class, and I am a black woman, you know? So I just think it's a very unique and special experience for a lot of people. So your film follows the life of Tiago, who's a white dude on campus. But there have been white people in black schools for a long time, right? Yeah, Tiago is definitely not the first and he's definitely not the only and he for sure won't be the last white student to attend a black college. And one of my dearest friends actually is a guy named Sam. He's white. He's from Charlotte. And Sam went to Morehouse. He graduated in 2004. And yeah, there's always been white students at black colleges. The significance of this documentary explores the fact that there is a growing number due to financial instability among these schools. What is the big push behind this? It's financial reasons, but why is it that universities are now pushing this more now than they were in the past? Yeah, so I think all colleges nationwide are kind of falling victim to this financial crunch that exists. You know, school is getting more expensive. You know, there's just like less money to go around in the first place. And HBCUs aren't immune to this. They've really never like had the amenities to compete with like the Harvards of the world or the MITs or even like the big state schools that exist. Uh, And now more than ever, this difference in endowment and this difference in donorship is starting to really reveal itself in, in the ways that they're able to stay open and operate. And we've seen a number of them close and we will see a number more close in the years to come if they can't find ways to continue to fund these institutions. And so one of the things that they've decided to look into is expanding their student body and starting to recruit outside of the black community to bring in students who can afford to pay that full tuition line without assistance. And that kind of wealth just simply doesn't exist in the black community and more specifically the black communities that these schools target. You even see it in the student populations of these schools. So for a large part of our country's history, black students can only go to HBCUs. But now that we have options, you know, a lot of students are deciding to go to the Harvards or the state schools. So it's, it's even just an issue of how many students are actually going to these schools. I'm sure that there are brochures and none of them look like the people that they're trying to attract. So is there some sort of marketing campaign that you're Morehouse too, kind of? Like what, what's going on there? So actually, yes. 
Morehouse has a new young alumni-led initiative because a lot of times when you talk about Morehouse, the three names you hear are Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson and Martin Luther King Jr. And if you're a white kid from Oklahoma, you might think like, oh, well, I don't really want to be a black filmmaker or a black actor or a civil rights activist. I just want to go work at Blackstone and make a lot of money. And what We Are Morehouse is trying to do is not only let kids know that guys like Josh exist, but that they have a number of alumni who work at J.P. Morgan, who work at Blackstone, who work at these billion-dollar hedge funds on Wall Street. They're not trying to hide their race, but they're trying to let people know that, A, we have a lot of young alumni who are achieving at very high rates in prestigious fields and industries, but they also trade on the currency of we do produce the most black doctors. We do produce the highest achieving black businessmen and lawyers and scientists and you know cultural leaders. And so while their marketing material has changed and the optics are there, well, there will be a white student in that brochure and an Asian student in that brochure and you know other students from elsewhere in the African diaspora. So not just black kids from America, but kids who were raised in Nigeria or in the Caribbean. They're trying to let people know that our alumni have achieved in the same industries that you want to get into. And what we provide you with is a unique experience and a valuable education that's just as rigorous, if not more so, than you might get at the Harvard that may deny you because you're the 10th kid from that school to apply, or the Yale that might deny you, or Princeton, or whatever other school that is. Our alumni go to the exact same graduate programs as their alumni, and they work side by side with them at the very same companies. Do you think that this new marketing strategy takes away from the legacy of sort of the black college experience that they were pushing before by kind of watering it down with, we're just like every other institution? I don't know if they were watering it down. I think the main focus of marketing was to a black community where they wanted students and parents to know that your child is going to be safe here for four years. And now that safety is a little bit less present on your mind. Parents who are sending their kids to college and most of these kids who are going to college want to know how are you going to prepare them for the future. So it's changed to this is a safe space, which that's still very much a part of the message. And I'm not trying to take that away, but there is another emphasis on your kid will come here and will achieve at the highest levels that you could imagine for them. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the people we interviewed in the doc said it. He was just like, you know, if there are 10 white students on campus, that's not going to affect the culture. But if there's 100, maybe it will. But as far as legacy, these schools have such a rich history. I don't think white students is going to take away from the legacy. But as far as culture, that might be a different story. So I kind of want to talk about Tiago because he's uh, he's an interesting character. Uh, how did you find this guy? Yeah, it was weird casting this doc. Nicole and I had to utilize Facebook and Instagram and all the social platforms that the kids are using these days. And then I had to go through like my own personal channels of like my friends who I knew had siblings that were still at school. And I was like calling them and being like, hey, can you talk to any of the white kids that you know on campus? at Morehouse or at UNCC or at Howard. There were like a number of people whose DMs we had to slide in. Yeah, it was definitely like the creepy older cousin who was like messaging my friend's younger siblings being like, hey, do you know any white people at your school? (laughs) You know, so it was definitely an interesting process. But Tiago also just stood out because we talked to other students and they were like, yeah, you know, they gave me a scholarship or 
it was an easy commute from my house and I don't really participate on campus and Tiago was kind of the one person who was just like I believe in the mission of this school this is my destiny so yeah it was, it was kind of obvious that he was the person we should do this with from the very first conversation that Tiago and I had on the phone and he described himself as looking like the oppressor I knew he was the kid we were going with how aware of his white privilege is he I mean, he seems like he's pretty self-aware. He talks about how he wants to dismantle the attitude of whiteness and acknowledge his privilege and dismantle that, but then use it in white spaces that he can freely navigate to initiate change as an ally for people that have been oppressed. He's for sure idealistic for an 18-year-old. You seem to call out his naivete a little bit. So if you were not the host and trying to be diplomatic with him, what would you maybe, the inside Lee or the inside Nicole, what would you rather say, what would be your advice to them? I don't know if I would have advice for Tiago. I never actually met him. But I will say one thing that was interesting in the edit and as we showed the video to people, a lot of people questioned him being president of his dorm, that was like a very interesting conversation that evolved because it seemed like he was very self-aware and wanted to dismantle white privilege, but there was always this question of like, well, why did you become president of your dorm then? I guess people still have questions. I think a lot of people are curious about his intent and he has to prove himself through his actions. It kind of remains to be seen whether or not these are just like very pretty sounding words that make you seem woke or if he's really going to like, I hate to use such a dated like phrase, but like if he's really about it, right? Like if he's really with the smoke, he has to like prove it to us all. Did you get the vibe from him that he wanted to be black? I honestly don't think so. I had to ask that question though, because that was kind of the question on everyone's mind. And like, are you a kid who grew up in the suburbs that just really, really liked rap music? And so you wanted to go to a school where everybody loves rap music and you could nerd out over J. Cole with the homies. But I think he really believes in the mission of Morehouse and the mission of serving your community is something that's ingrained in every aspect of that experience. And if you are someone who really wants to initiate change in the world at a larger capacity, then that's the perfect place for you. But I will say that even though he seems to have good intentions, there are definitely still people on campus who are skeptical of like his presence there and what his presence represents at large. And so while people might have a problem with him specifically, the idea of a growing number of white students or an increasing number of white students is something that is not welcomed. He himself has found a welcoming group, but the 50 other white students that might be waiting to go to Morehouse behind him may not. So you all went to Morehouse, and the only reason you really went to Morehouse is to cover a white guy. How did the community, how did this black college feel about national media coming to a traditionally black college to talk to a white guy? Well, so Minority Reports is about finding a minority in a place where you wouldn't expect to find them. And when this story was first pitched to me, I immediately said no because I didn't want to champion the one white perspective present at an historically black college when we never do coverage on historically black colleges. And for me, that was a huge problem. But when I learned that across the board, there is this push to recruit a more diverse student body, then I knew that's a story worth telling. That's a story where we can still involve the perspectives of the traditional HBCU community. 
but have a very interesting conversation with a non-traditional student or a white student in this case. And to be honest, like all of my friends who are white, some of them thought they couldn't even go to an HBCU. All of them though wanted to know right off the bat, oh shit, what was that like for a white kid to go to an all black school? And it's like a title that you really couldn't scroll past on YouTube. But how does the student body that when you show up there, that you're not going there to profile the students of color of Morehouse, you're going there to profile the white guy? If we had done what all of the other mainstream media has done in the past and only spoken to Tiago and then bounced, I'm pretty sure people would burn this building down right now. It would have been terrible. It would have been the most insensitive thing that we could do. And students weren't happy when they, they were excited to know that Vice was on campus because it was like, oh, cool, Vice is here. But then when they found out who we were there to cover and what we were there to cover, the tone of the conversation changed immediately. And so I knew as a journalist and as a filmmaker, I had a responsibility to make sure that I sat down with them and gave them the opportunity to drive their own narrative. Because if I hadn't done that and I'd repeated the same mistakes that other mainstream media outlets had done in the past, I'd not only be doing a disservice to this community, but I'd like be doing a disservice to my own self by muting my own people in that regard. So you interview a professor who is opposed to having non-people of color on campus, and you ask her, Lee, if that is reverse racism, which she says it's specious, one of my favorite SAT words. She says that it's a dumb argument. So can you tell me why or why not it is reverse racism in your own opinion? The argument of reverse racism, like calling this instance reverse racism, is based in two areas of thought. Either it's not fair that you can do this and I can't as a white male, or, or it's based in a school of thought that you're just ignoring the historical context under which these schools were created. So it's like black people were enslaved, then we were oppressed, then there was segregation, then there is a disproportionate distribution of wealth between black people in this country and white people in this country, right? Like there are all these different things that play into the black experience that don't necessarily apply to a white male's experience. A black man in America at 18 and a white male in America at 18 have two very different legacies behind them and like two very different experiences. And that's precisely the reason why these schools exist in the first place is because for a young black man or woman, like this is a four year experience that literally doesn't exist anywhere else in your life and can never ever be replicated ever again. So it's not like we're excluding white people because we don't like them. We created a space for people who won't ever be able to find it ever again. I just also don't believe that all spaces are for everyone. I am a straight black female. That doesn't mean I I belong in a corner for someone who's LGBT. That is not my space. And I think that is what Professor Marcus was trying to say in that It's just like, this maybe isn't for you, and that's okay. That's not always a negative thing. You don't have to be in every space that that is out there. It's not that you can't go there. It's like, maybe you just shouldn't. Maybe it's just not for you. Yeah, I would just say a large majority of the people in the dock didn't say outright, like, white people do not belong here. I would say overall it was a question. Like, why do you want to come here? This place traditionally and historically has been one way why now you know so lee nicole thank you very much for joining me today you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i had a lot of fun today thank you my friend thank you so much zeke this was great yeah it's fucking lit bro make sure to check out minority reports on vice.com that's it for now 
Thanks for listening. Next week, we're taking a short summer break, but we're not going dark. We're highlighting four of our favorite episodes from the archives, so tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to right now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.